Lord, as we worship you in the hearing of your word proclaimed, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say. And soften our hearts so that we would understand. Speak through Luke and use us to bring your kingdom as we wait um, to be joined to you in the end. We love you, Lord. We trust that you're working everything for our good and for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. If you would, turn in your Bible to Habakkuk chapter 2. If you're in the Pew Bible, um, Habakkuk chapter 2 begins on 785. And we're going to read through all of Habakkuk chapter 2. We won't spend as much time on 1 through 5 as we've already been through that. But I think that 1 through 5, particularly 2 through 5, is going to springboard us into the rest of the chapter and really make it all make sense. Um, Vernon laid some great groundwork for us last week. He took us to a lot of really important cross-references into the New Testament. And so I'm going to lean into what he's done there, and we're going we're gonna to plow ahead. Um, but how do we get to chapter 2? How do we get to this response? This response from verses 2 through the end of the chapter is from God. So there's, there's a lot that has led up to getting to this point in chapter 2. And so how do we get here? Well, we got here because Habakkuk's original complaint, if you remember, in the beginning was, God, your people here in Judah are wicked. And you're not doing anything about it, right? He's saying, God, I cry to you violence. Like if you, We wrote that song in part so that you can remember the whole book and just kind of follow through. Um, what, what Habakkuk was crying out to God is, God, there's violence all around me, and you're not doing anything about it. And what's God's response? His response is very quick, it's very matter-of-fact, but he says, no, I am doing something about it, Habakkuk. And what's his plan for the evil in Judah? His plan is to send the people of Babylon that he's raising up to come in and wipe them out. Now, if you're Habakkuk, this is not the answer that you were looking for when you started this complaint. You were really hoping that God was going to deal with the people that you thought were bad, but everything was going to be good to go after that. But God says, no, I'm planning to send Babylon in. They are going to, and what ends up happening is they take um, a remnant into Babylon, and that's the exile. They kill a lot of people in Judah, and a lot of people are left behind to starve to death, to suffer tremendously. And this is not what Habakkuk was expecting when he started this complaint. And so then he has a new question. So I summarized the first question, God, how can you be passive in evil? And his second question, I would summarize this way. God, how can you be good and be active in evil? And that's a different question. It's a harder question in a lot of ways. And I think we dealt with that um, pretty well. And in each time we dealt with this, we talked about the cross and how in the cross, God is using evil for good. So we know God can do this. We know that God can work things for a greater purpose. But Habakkuk is just like us, confused about this. But then he finishes chapter 2, verse 1. This is Habakkuk after praying this prayer, this really thoughtful, God, I know this about you, so how can this be true? And he concludes with, I will take my stand at my watch post to station myself at the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. 
And so he leaves in kind of this moment of waiting. God, I made my case, and now I'm going to see what your answer is. It's not a, he doesn't make this definite, I will follow you, I will trust you, but there is, even in his waiting, this clear, I'm looking for your answer, God. I'm looking to trust you, but I'm confused. And so I'm going to wait to say anything else till I hear from you. And my encouragement to all of you was that when we face things like that, when we face difficult questions that seem too impossible to answer, to bring them before God, wrestle deeply, and then say, but God, I'm going to wait for your answer. Don't assume just because you have a hard question that God has no answer for it, because here is God's answer to Habakkuk's hard question in chapter 2. So I want to start, now that we're there, that you understand kind of, if you haven't been with us, um, or maybe you just forgot because I've sat through sermons that I didn't listen to well. Hopefully you're now good to go and we can jump into verse 2, the Lord's response to Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not, it, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you've plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. 
So what in the world is this passage about? Well, first, I think one thing we need to remember from Vernon's message last week, there's a particular phrase, and so when we come to a passage like this, we need to wrestle with the logic of the passage. I think sometimes we're really quick to run into a passage like this and go, okay, what's the main idea, and then just be done with it. But there is some logic happening in this passage that is going to make Habakkuk's question before he's going to get a good answer for it. But if instead we just kind of do a surface-level reading of the text, we're going to be like, Habakkuk, you, you're, you're satisfied with this answer from the Lord? I think there's a lot here that we need to wrestle with. The first thing we need to see is in verse 2. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. So he may run who reads it. What in the world does that mean? Well, Vernon really helped us with this. He kind of gave us two options. So he referenced one option, which is the way that Mark kind of uses a similar phrase to this, that when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, you better run, right? Get out of Jerusalem. And Jesus is having this this discourse with his disciples about the destruction of the temple and the coming of the, the kingdom. And so in that one, run means Judgment is coming. Get out as quick as you can. But I don't think that's how Habakkuk is using this because one thing we know is in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk doesn't get to run away from the violence that's coming to Judah. He can't escape it. So what's the other option? The other option is this idea of when you get a message that is good news, you want to do what with that news? You want to run and take it to everyone. If you've been friends with me for a while, you know when I get excited about something, I am an evangelist for whatever that thing is when I'm pumped about it. Um, whether that is a, one of my friends convincing me to finally listen to The Corner Room, who does worship music that is literally Bible verses, I love it, and I will convince anybody to listen to it. I get so excited about good news. Well, what's happening here in the book of Habakkuk is God is saying, Habakkuk, look at this. I am about to give you a vision. And you need to write it down. You need to put it on tablets so that when somebody reads it, they go, wow, this is such great news. I need to take this news. Now, if that's the case, when you heard the rest of the chapter, you probably went, that doesn't sound like good news, Luke. God sounds super mad in the rest of the chapter. Like, I tried to, in my voice, and in my inflection, help you kind of get the sense of how bad this judgment is for Babylon. God is super mad. But what is Habakkuk's, what's his question? It's, God, how can you use Babylon for your purposes? How can you use Babylon to judge Judah? And I think he's saying, Habakkuk, trust me, I have good news for you. And I think he would say, Central Baptist Church, trust me, I have good news for you. When you look out into the world right now, as you see it, and you see all this brokenness here, and this brokenness there, and this brokenness here, and even the brokenness that you're perpetuating, trust me, I have good news for you. And when you hear it, you will not be able to keep it to yourself if you understand and believe it. That's a big if. But if you do understand what's in this chapter, it should bubble up out of you and you should not be able to keep it to yourself. That's a pretty big promise from God's word and so I think it's worth digging in if that's true. And so he starts with Habakkuk's question. Who is Habakkuk focused on? 
at this point? We're small enough. Who is Habakkuk looking to? What, what is he focused on? What evil is he concerned about? What nation? Judah first, and then Babylon. So first he starts with this fixation on Judah's sin, and he's like, God, look how bad Judah is. And then God says, yeah, I've got a plan for that, and it's going to be Babylon. And now he's got this long prayer where he's like, okay, God, what about Babylon? And, and what Habakkuk is doing is I think what we all kind of do when it comes to evil, we kind of pick and choose the evil that we're going to be concerned about. I think everybody does this on some level. Habakkuk is fixated on the evil around him, and then God says, well, here's some more evil. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's bad too. And so he fixates in on Babylon's evil, and I think we all do that, and I think a really obvious place to look, if you don't believe me, is turn on Fox News and look at the evil that they focus on, and then turn on CNN and look at the evil they focus on. Both are focused on evils. Both are focused on wrongdoing. Now, we might disagree on how balanced either side is, and that's not my point. My point is, one side will say, hey, look at the police brutality, look at the way that minorities have been harmed for generations, and then another side says, but there's people attacking the police, there's riots, there's this, there's that. One side says, look at abortion, the other side says, look at this other issue, look at people at the border, and we all focus in on these particular evil things. But one thing that's really encouraging to me when I look at this passage, has any evil that, that Habakkuk has raised before God, was God surprised by any of it? No. God, in the first one, he brings Judah up. He thinks God's being passive, and he says, Habakkuk, I'm not being passive. I have a plan and a strategy for dealing with Judah's evil and judging their sin. And then he says, well, what about Babylon? And then God, in this next section, says, I have a plan for dealing with Babylon's sin. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I would say to you is God is going to perfectly judge every single evil. You can mark that down. That's what this chapter is driving us towards. God will judge every single evil with perfect equity. Habakkuk is focused in on Babylon, so God says, okay, let's talk about Babylon. Let me describe to you my plan for Babylon. And I think Babylon here is serving as a foil because you'll notice he never actually says Babylon in this section. He starts talking about anyone who does these types of evils. So I think we can rightly say that everything he's going to say here is applicable to any person who works in justice, whether we're talking about in Habakkuk's day, Babylon, or in our day, when we talk about any of those social issues that are important that God cares about. All of those evils, God is fully aware of all of the details of them all the way down to the heart level. And where do I see that? Focus in on verse 4. Behold, his, again, in reference to Babylon, soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. In contrast, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 5, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shield, like death. He has never enough. He gathers all nations to himself and collects as his own all peoples. God is clarifying for Habakkuk right here. He's saying, look, Habakkuk, I know how evil Babylon is. It's like Babylon is so bad that you know wine, what it makes people do when they have too much of it, how they start doing stupid things and even harm themselves that's Babylon. 
Babylon is wine. It, it offers this wonderful thing, but it turns on you. It offers this happiness and joy, but immediately swallows you up in stupidity. That's what Babylon is, Habakkuk, and I know it. He's as greedy as the place of the dead. He's never happy with just the last person he killed. He always wants to kill more. Because Habakkuk's critique of God was, God, how can you use these people? Do you understand how bad they are? And God says, yes. Yes, I do. I do understand how bad they are. But what's the promise? The promise is justice and perfect equity in that justice. Will not your debtors, verse 7, suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Babylon is promising and promising and promising. If you will follow the nation of Babylon, then I'll give you this, king. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And he's promising thing after thing after thing. And one day God promises Babylon's going to be swallowed up in those promises. People are going to say, wait, 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 you promised me this. Where is it? And one day, Justice is going to be demanded. Because, verse 8, you've plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. He's saying, look, you thought you could get away with killing and killing and killing and taking and taking and taking. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take from you. In fact, the very people that you've done this to will be your undoing. If God is talking about this like there's this perfect balance of justice. Not more then justice demands, but definitely not less either. Verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. Babylon thinks he's safe. That by building this giant empire, he's safe. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You've forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Here's God's promise to any person who uses others and harms others to make themselves great. Your day will come. The very thing that you thought was your glory is going to be your undoing. The very thing that you thought was going to keep you safe, it's going to fall in on you. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? God is promising Habakkuk here. He's saying, look, Habakkuk, Babylon thinks that they know what they're doing. They think that they have this thing that will last forever, but it will not last because verse 14 is true. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. There will be no room for injustice in God's kingdom. It will all be crushed. It will all be crushed just like the serpent. It will be driven out. And God is saying, look here, Habakkuk. Look here, Babylon. Every injustice will be paid back. If they made their neighbors drunk, Verse 15, that you poured out your wrath and made them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. 
What will be the result? You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Babylon did plunder. They did rape. They did pillage. They did all these evil things. And all of those same evils came back on them. But this isn't just a promise of justice in the here and now. It is a justice that is final and complete. God will judge all sin perfectly. And if you're Habakkuk, you go, okay, God, but, but, but what, if, what if they're too strong for you? God reminds Habakkuk who their gods are. Verse 18, where are they going to turn when God comes for them? They're going to turn to their idols. But what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. In contrast to who? In contrast to the Lord. Is Babylon going to be safe when they're trusting in their idols, when there is a God who is in his holy temple? No. Babylon will be crushed. Well, you might hear that and go, okay, well, I thought, Luke, you said this was a good news passage. Like, that sounds like the most, like, awful sermon I've ever heard in my life. Like, you sound angry. You sound like the fire and brimstone type preachers. Like, that does not sound like good news to me. Yeah, this is a good joke. Thanks, Eden. That sounds like great. That doesn't sound like great news. But there is good news. But you have to wrestle with this because if this is true, if God demands perfect justice for every wrong, Habakkuk should be afraid. And you should be afraid. If God demands perfect justice for every wrong, you should be terrified, right? Why? Well, I'll just speak from my own experience. My eyes have lusted and have, in my mind, stripped people naked. What's the promise to people who do that? They will be stripped naked and their uncircumcision will be revealed. This graphic, horrific picture. The New Testament makes clear if you, in your heart, hate someone, you're a murderer. Well, this passage promises if you are a murderer, you will be destroyed. You see, we often are very bad. I mean, even in churches, we're really bad about talking about the evils out there. We're really bad about saying, hey, Planned Parenthood is doing this, that governor is doing that, this group is doing that. And I think we're right to identify those things as evil. But when we struggle with the problem of evil, I think far too often we struggle with the evil out there and not the evil in here. I think Vody Bauckham said it really well when he was discussing the problem of evil. He said that oftentimes people come up to him and say, well, if God is all good and all powerful, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And he says, what I always say to that is that is the wrong question. The right question is if God is all good and all powerful and knows what I thought and I did yesterday, why did he let me live through the night? 
And this is the question that you should be asking. This is the question Habakkuk should be asking when he hears about God's perfect justice because Habakkuk knows full well that Judah is a dirty place, that Judah is a sinful place, and he is someone who lives in Judah. He has done all of these things. So is there any hope? Is there any hope in this passage for any of us? Well, there is a bright, shining piece of hope in verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Who will have knowledge of the Lord in the new heavens and new earth? God's people. But how can there be any people of God in this kingdom if we're all sinful? And God has promised, I will judge all sin perfectly. The answer is in verse 3. Verse 3 says this in your English Bible. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. But what Vernon showed us last week is the author of Hebrews as he's reading the Septuagint translation of this passage, the Septuagint writers caught the fact that the word it, if it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay, can be translated another way. It can be translated he. If he seems slow, wait for him. He will surely come, he will will not delay. Now let me ask you, who came from God on our behalf? Jesus, the coming one, came from God on our behalf. Why? To carry out justice. Because our God in this passage is a God of justice. He does judge sin perfectly, and I want him to. Don't you when you look out at the evil in the world, don't you want God to do something about it? Do you want it to just get a pass? Let me ask that again. Do you want the evil in the world to just get a pass? I don't. But I also know the evil things that I have done. I've seen the people that I have made cry. I've seen the things that I have done that I wouldn't even tell you about. And I know how bad it is, and I want justice for it. But I also don't want God to kill me, just like you. But I can't have justice for the stuff out there if I don't get justice for the stuff right here. But here's the good news. If he seems slow, wait for him. He will surely come. He will not delay And then the the second half of verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's the great news in this passage. Yes, Luke Morris has lusted and stripped naked in his mind many women. I've done wicked things. I am a sinner through and through that deserves nothing but condemnation. I have hated many people. I've hated people and didn't even realize that I was hating them. And you have too. You've killed people in your hearts. And you deserve nothing but hatred from God. But the coming one came. And what did he do? He lived a perfect life, and yet he was stripped naked. 
He never stole, and yet he was treated as a robber. He never killed, and yet he was murdered. Why? So that God could free you from the debt that you owed by taking that debt on himself. Now, I think most of you in this room know Jesus. I think most of you know what he has done for you. But I think maybe some of you, you've just grown up so long around church and around the Bible that maybe you don't really believe it. You've been inoculated to it. If you are trying to be right before God based on anything, whether it's your own works or just your southern Christianity or your church attendance or whatever, if you are not actively putting faith in Jesus, not, not talking about praying a prayer when you were six, year old, six years old, but actively putting your faith in Jesus, here's my word of warning to you. This passage is not a hopeful passage if you stay in that state. God will judge your sin. And the idols that you're trusting in your southern Christianity, your good works, your church attendance, all of that will be proven to be worthless. Because the only people who survive the wrath of God, the only people who live in this passage are the ones who are living by faith. And that is why they are righteous. It's because of the coming one, not because of the works of ourselves. God will be just. And our scripture reading this morning, it highlighted God is patient. He desires for you to come and put your faith in him. But one day the patience will end. And I would encourage you, I don't, I don't know where you all are spiritually, really and truly. I can't see your hearts. And I don't know what you're thinking as I'm saying these things. But if you're not trusting in Jesus, I would pray that today you would begin to trust in Jesus and find salvation in him. And if you have trusted in Jesus, I want to speak to you. Step away from the word of warning and more just to the word of encouragement. Maybe you are like so many of our church members that I've gotten the, the privilege to talk with and hear your story and you have moments in your life that you're so ashamed of. Maybe evil that was done to you or evil that you have done, and you can't even bear to think about it. This passage promises God has paid for that in Christ. And this passage, this book promises Central Baptist Church, God will use it for your good and for a purpose that you can't even imagine. Every evil thing that we have faced, God will make it right. You can write that down. You can, you can count that. You can be confident in that. You can trust in that. God is not allowing anything to take place that will not be for good. And that is what Habakkuk wants us to see. And that's exactly why after Habakkuk sees, verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him, when he realizes that. Here's what I want you to see. All of chapter 3 is a worship song to God. When Habakkuk realizes how just and gracious God is, 
and that God will not let any evil go unpunished, but will also redeem his people at the same time. There is no response but to say, God, no matter what may come, I trust you. We're about to sing a song about Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to wrestle with him this morning. If you've not put your faith in him, that's what I mean by that. If you're not walking with Jesus, following Jesus, I would encourage you, as we're singing, to wrestle with him this morning. And if you do know Jesus, and rejoice that he has been your substitute this morning, that he will be your substitute, that he will redeem every wicked thing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word. I pray that you would use your word to work on our hearts, that we would trust you even in the midst of evil all around us. That when we cry out to you violence, we would have the faith to remember and say that all of these things will work together to bring about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. God, we don't see that right now. We don't, we don't even understand it, but we trust you. We pray that you would cause us to have greater trust for you. That like the disciples, as they walked with you, they believed, but then they believed even more deeply over and over and over again. Give us that kind of growing faith. God, please save sinners, even this morning in our church. We love you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.